Dr. Balpin, the T1 of Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance. This is weekly Monday appearance, managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. And what follows, we hear uh, from Dave Cameron, not via Skype at his home in Winston-Salem, but right in front of my face in Nashville, Tennessee, where the winter meetings of baseball are currently taking place. Of some interest this week, the signing of some very high-profile free agents. David Price, for example. Zach Greinke, for another example. The pursuit by a number of teams of Ben Zobrist. And then which uh, players we can expect to sign, position players we can expect to sign immediately after Ben Zobrist signs. Of course, we're individuals of many interests at Fangraphs. Dave Cameron uh, uh, does not hesitate to lead us through a science experiment uh, to Fangraphs Laboratories either. Uh, you made four new ones, and you cryogenically froze the first one. All of the Dave Cameron uh, you can handle momentarily in what follows. Uh, what's happening right now, however, is a message, a message from the sponsor. The sponsor is Draft and the Draft app. Are you familiar with Draft Kings or FanDuel? Well, these are our daily fantasy sports games. Draft. Draft is also a daily fantasy sports game. Notable, however, notable for being the only such one, or the first such one, I'll say. I'll say that. Uh, the first such one designed for mobile devices. Here's how you play. You find within the draft universe either a friend or an internet stranger. You conduct a snake draft. Each select five players. Those players, as you can imagine, accrue fantasy points. And whichever you or your opponent have the most points at the end of the day or the night, perhaps the week if it's NFL football, uh, you are the winner. Are you confident about your abilities in doing all of these things? Well, you can, if you would like, you can wager American currency on the outcome, probably uh, based on the state you live in. That's your business. If you'd like to make draft part of your business, here's how you do it. Do you have uh, an iOS operating system on your mobile device? Then take thyself to uh, the App Store. If you have an Android operating system, you can go to Google Play or something like Google Play and download it there. Fun time for everyone. There's the prevailing thought about uh, the draft out there. Okay, and with that, the message from the sponsor is done. It is time to move on to a conversation with Dave Cameron. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? That same Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. Stop hitting this. All right. So it's the, uh, yeah, so we have the din of some birds here. Anyway, it'll be all right. Uh, you've just come from a panel. Yes. I was a member of a panel at the Sport Management Worldwide Conference, uh, okay. along with Vince Gennaro, president of Sabre, yeah. Sadev Sharma of Baseball Prospectus, and John Olshan, who runs TrackMan. Sadev Sharma. Yeah. I met him one time in the, in the Cubs press box. Yeah. Hey, nice young man. He is. Yeah. I don't know how young he is. Well, you know, when I'm figuratively. He's younger. married. One of the things he admitted on the on the panel is that he is a horrible husband. Oh, <laughs> he like was telling uh, was, like, mostly people who want to work in baseball, younger kids, and so his advice to them uh, was telling a story about how he worked really hard on nights and weekends while he was dating his now wife, yeah, and didn't care at all for their relationship and just worked like crazy. And then he mentioned uh, as he was married, he continued to like ignore his wife's requests for things in order to work harder. Yeah, and I was like, I don't know how you're still married. It was like, uh, huh. know, it was comment, comment. I'm sure he's a great husband. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm sure he's great. Although, uh, is it not true that, uh, it, in certain, uh, corners of the baseball world that maybe work could interfere with, uh... Yeah, almost, probably a lot of people who work in baseball are considered bad husbands. Yeah. I think that's, they go together. The correlation yeah. is quite high. Right, well, you have to spend, it's basically, you gotta dedicate a lot of time to it. Yeah, baseball yeah. is a, uh, demanding mistress. Yeah. 
Um, or Mr. Maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, uh, there are so many deals. Uh, we're in Nashville, of course, uh, at the winter meetings. The winter meetings historically are a place where deals uh, occur. Yeah, to some degree. To some degree. It's, it acts as at least as like a sort of anchor, uh, an anchor point, a reference point for deals. Yeah. Uh, but many of the biggest deals uh, have already occurred. I, I think probably um, uh, David Price was going to always receive the largest contract. Yeah, Jason Award has some outside chance of beating sure. it, but probably not. And yeah. then, and Zach Greinke was probably third on that list. Hayward, Hayward should do better than Greinke. All right, so Price and Greinke signed. Now, there's actually, so we're going to definitely talk about the Price deal. There's actually a move today made by uh, the Boston Red Sox, a trade <clears throat> that uh, perhaps reveals uh, something about their strategy this off season, especially when considered in in the context of the David Price trade, which is they traded uh, Wade Miley and a prospect, I guess. Well, Jonathan Arrow, the, yeah, a reliever. <clears throat> a reliever. Of, of not much note. For uh, Roenius, 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 Elias, Elias, who is a, um, a left-handed starter who was, what, decent two years ago? Yeah, for like half a season. Half a season. He was like a nothing prospect who they called up in desperation and pitched okay. Right. And then and then also uh, what, Carson Smith? Carson Smith, who's quite good. Who's quite good, okay. At relieving. At relieving, yeah, right. right. Uh, now, Taken you know, that trade on its own, you know, maybe it's not particularly interesting. But the, the fact we know the Red Sox last year attempted to build a rotation without what you would call probably a, an ace, yeah, right? Right. Um, but but with some depth. Yeah. Now the Red Sox also had a pretty miserable season. Yes, correct. Although the record actually ended up it was en- okay. Ended up better than it yeah. than it seemed yeah. like they were fated to right. occurring uh, halfway through the season. Um, <clears throat> is it? It. The, should we see the trading away of Wade Miley in conjunction with the signing David Price as sort of uh, even even more perhaps a, a, painting a better portrait of what Dombrowski's trying to do this offseason? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, even in Detroit, his MO was always to focus very heavily on the top end of the roster. The, to him, the most important players on your team are, you know, one through six or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think no question he's moving from depth to try and upgrade the high-end pieces. So he spent on David Price. He spent on Craig Kimbrell. Now he's trading Wade Miley, who's a depth piece, uh, in exchange for Carson Smith, who's going to be probably their number three reliever and maybe their number two reliever, depending on how healthy and effective Koji Uehara is at 107 years old. Uh, so I think, <laughs> right, it seems like the the Red Sox have pivoted by hiring a, uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, a general manager or president of baseball operations who prefers to overload the top end of his roster at the expense of uh, the end of his roster, uh, which is a total shift from what Ben Sherrington and kind of how he built his team. Right. Now, it, now the Red Sox attempted to have, as you said, a balanced roster, and, they, and it worked out poorly. Is that is that in itself an indictment of that particular strategy? Well, N of 1 is not an uh, indictment of any particular thing. I mean, you can right. always find an example of something that didn't work out particularly well. Uh, I would, I think, in the post I wrote today about the Dodgers, who are making a similar bet to what the Red Sox did last year, at least in terms of depth. Yeah, and we stars. should get to the, we'll get to them. Obviously, um, yeah. But I think, you know, I pointed out that the Kansas City Royals just won the World Series, and they had a balanced roster. And I think if you look at their free agent uh, signings over the years, they have historically tended away from star players and signed the guys like Alex Rios and Jeremy Guthrie and Jason Burgess and Kendris Morales. And uh, you know, they're not signing high end free agents, but they're spending you know ten million dollars on four or five different guys, and then trying to develop you know. 
uh, quality players across the board. And so I think, um, you know, we have a team who just won the World Series whose highest paid player was $12 million. Like, it, it, this clearly can work, uh, but it also can fail, as Boston showed. And I think that one of the important points I was trying to make is not that Stars and Scrubs is necessarily better or worse, mm-hmm. but that there are two different ways to build a roster, and both have some success and both have some failure. It's probably not fair to say, oh, the Granky, the, the Dodgers are going for depth over stars by letting Granky go. This is silly and they're stupid. And it's not wise to say, oh, they're so geniuses for getting rid of star players. Every team should just have a whole bunch of average players. Like, both sides have pros and cons, and you just weigh the pros and cons of each decision. You know, at some point, uh, uh, Bill James, I think, was, uh, I don't know if he had really any hard evidence to prove it. He felt, though, that teams would perform well if they had had, at first, a sort of uh, strict authoritarian manager, and then a player manager came in. That was, a, I think it was just a theory of his, a working theory. I wonder, is there any advantage, do you think, to having a general manager or president or, you know, whoever is essentially ahead of the baseball movement? Is there any advantage to having one that supports balance and then to have him replaced by a Stars and Scrubs GM or vice versa? I mean, it's possible in that the depth guy coming first could build a base of talent that would allow the Stars and Scrubs approach to then work because mm-hmm. the depth pieces who would be the Scrubs might be better than the Stars and Scrubs GM would get on his own. So in, like, Dombrowski's case in Detroit, he really struggled at assembling bullpens and kind of the end of his lineup or depth pieces. I mean, they regularly had guys like Delman Young as their, you know, number six hitter or something because they just couldn't find a DH worth anything. And, uh, you know, Don Kelly was playing in Game 7 of the Championship Series. or um, And so I think this is not a strength of Dave Dombrowski is finding end-of-roster pieces. But the fact that Ben Sherrington has kind of already put them in place means that Dombrowski might be able to come in and say, okay, look, we already have pretty good, you know, 23rd to 30th guys. I've already got good organizational prospects. I've got, you know, more starters than I know what to do with. I'm just going to go spend a lot of money, which is what he does well, and get high-end players uh, and kind of do not necessarily the easy part of it, but kind of construct the part that's not not so challenging. Mm. And uh, and I think it might work out pretty well for the Red Sox. Uh, with regard to the price deal uh the money i think the money was pretty close to what you'd estimated i believe yeah, i guessed uh 215 million over 7 he got 217 over 7 but i didn't factor in uh, an opt out which has some value which price also received so i would say factoring in the opt out maybe we put in 230 235 million something like that uh which is you know 20 million higher than i i expected so i don't i would i was close on the total number but i think the opt out has to be factored as well right so i know when uh you know Saris wrote about the opt out and essentially attempting to put a dollar value yeah. on it uh he went through a couple methods i think i think uh sky cockman had invented one maybe yeah. dave studentman yeah. mm-hmm. i don't know what what is it what is your sort of methodology for attempting to evaluate the value so basically what you're looking at is like what are the odds the opt out gets used right uh and what are the percentage chance that the player gains a significant financial reward in order for, um, you know, using the opt-out? So, mm-hmm. like, say in Price's case, if there's an 80% chance that he's going to use the opt-out and it's going to get him $100 million extra, then the opt-out's worth $80 million. Uh, those numbers oh, are, right. are crazy. Uh, it's not going to get him an extra $100 billion probably, and there's not an 80% chance he's going to use it. Uh, but I think, you know, you basically look at something like that. So you try and evaluate the percentage chance that he will be able to increase his salary at some point in the future yeah. um, by the magnitude of that increase, and, and that's kind of the value of the opt-out. So and it, so it's hard probably to um, to apply just sort of like a generic modifier to a certain thing because it depends on the value of the player, right? Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you, you could give an opt-out clause to, uh, you know, uh, 
Koji Uehara or something, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like he's like 40 years old, like <laughs> he's not going to get a long-term deal. Or you could, right. you know, you could give one to, uh, you know, Mark Lowe or something, one of these like low-end relievers, and their upside is only so high. They're not probably not going to opt out of a guaranteed contract because relievers blow up their arms pretty regularly. So. Right. You do open yourself up. Well, I guess what you, uh, well, anytime you sign a pitcher to a long-term deal, uh, you you expose yourself to risk as an organization. Yeah. Um, the I, I suppose the opt-out deal is absolutely it's fantastic for the player uh because he's he has essentially has insurance against uh catastrophic injury yeah. um but in the meantime if he plays a certain percentage above his expected um production or if the market changes right. considerably then uh, he has a new deal waiting for him. Yeah, exactly. For a player, opt-outs are amazing mm-hmm. uh, because you essentially set a price floor for yourself and usually a pretty high one because the guys getting opt-outs are very good. Right. Uh, but you all don't set a price ceiling for yourself. Uh, so you give yourself all of the upside of if I play well, I get a new contract in a couple of years. Uh, but if I blow up my arm, I still get $200 million waiting for me. So opt-outs are amazing for players. Uh, but in order for a team to want to give an opt-out, I mean, they're not just going to, like, acquiesce and be like, oh, yeah, we'll just give you an opt-out. We're going to want something in exchange. And usually what will happen is the player will take less money. So um, the player is essentially buying a uh, a benefit. And I think, like, from our perspective, uh, it's not that much different from, like, uh, employer-sponsored health care, right? Like, maybe you'll mm-hmm. take a job at a firm who's offering you a lower salary than if you were an independent contractor, but they're paying your health benefits, or they're at least providing a lower-cost health benefit than you can get on your own, or 401k matching, or something along those lines. If you take less money in salary in order to get these benefits that we consider valuable, uh, David Price may have considered the opt-out to be a valuable addition, and so perhaps he left some money on the table in terms of the maximum AAV he could have gotten if he had not demanded one. Okay. Um, so uh, I guess that trade... Um uh, well, we discussed the price signing a little bit. Um, uh, in the trade we, I, we had mentioned before, that's obviously the, the Seattle Mariners are on the other side of it. Uh, the acquisition of Wade, I think Wade Miley was not fantastic this past year. He was uh, not very good. I think his peripherals better than his ERA, but none of them spectacular. Right, okay. And so I suppose to, uh, to what degree does this uh, – to what degree does this mark de- – um, uh, Jerry Depoto's, you know, uh, new tenure in in Seattle. Well, Wade Miley, he had in Arizona, so he there's some familiarity there. Mm-hmm. And Miley uh, seems to be the fallback plan for losing Isashi Iwakuma, who went to the Dodgers after the Dodgers lost that Granky. Right. So it's all kind of like once Granky decided, well, once Price decided to go to Boston, and then Granky decided to go to Arizona. These are the dominoes that are falling. So uh, Iwakuma to L.A., Miley to Seattle. Uh, teams kind of had their backup plans in place, and uh, Miley is kind of like a you know number three to number five starter depending on the year. Uh, and the Mariners certainly needed a uh, you know another middle of the rotation guy after losing Iwakuma. Miley's not as good as Iwakuma, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know you could probably consider it a net loss of not being able to resign Iwakuma and then having to give up Carson Smith, who's a good reliever, and the Mariners bullpen's not very good. Uh, so now instead of having Iwakuma and Carson Smith, they just have Wade Miley, uh, and you know the compensation pick they'll get for Iwakuma next summer, but you know. Relievers cost a lot in, in trade at the trade deadline, so if they have to go replace Carson Smith, uh, they'll probably give up more in prospects than, than they'll get back in that pick. So I think right. overall this is probably a downgrade for the Mariners. It, well, in the, the Red Sox uh, bullpen, of course, they, uh, they recently traded for Craig Kimbrell. Mm-hmm. Uh, gave up quite a bit for Craig yeah. Kimbrell, but 
added to uh, Koji Uehara and uh, Junichi Tozawa in that right. bullpen. Yeah. Carson Smith will uh, uh, make that uh, bullpen even better, one assumes. Yeah, I think uh, you just named four right-handers, mm-hmm. so that's one of the interesting things is like the, the Red Sox don't necessarily have a dominant left-handed reliever, so I would expect that they'll go looking for some kind of lefty complement, mm-hmm. uh, especially because Carson Smith, as a side-arming slider-heavy pitcher, is probably always going to be more of a righty specialist. He mm-hmm. hasn't shown big platoon splits to this point, but you look at his delivery and it's impossible to not expect him to at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think his upside is probably Octavio Dotel or something who had a very good run, yeah. but also struggled with left-handers at different points in his career. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I would expect that Carson Smith will probably uh, be right there with Uehara as kind of their eighth inning guy, depending on who's available that day, and Tazawa will be pushed into the sixth, seventh inning role. Now you mentioned the signing of Price uh, began to open things up uh, for, in terms of movement. Of course, Zach Reiki, uh was uh, probably the second best uh, pitcher available this off season. Oh yeah, and we haven't even mentioned I mean, Jeff Samarjo's already signed. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. And there are too many names. We're yeah. not going to reach them all. But uh, Granky. Well, Greg, is an example of the value that the opt-out can have. Yeah. Can, you, can you just uh, uh, remind me, us, once again, of the deal that Granky did have in place and and then tell us what the opt-out, well, how much it was worth to him? Yeah, so he signed a six-year, $150 million deal with the Dodgers initially, mm-hmm. I believe, six one forty six something like that, yeah. uh, close to $150 million. Uh, he got a third-year opt-out, so he spent three years in, in Los Angeles, got like $71 million for his time over that three years, so like $24 million a year. Uh, and then he opted out and received a six-year, $195 million deal after you factor in the fact that some of it's deferred. Uh, so $195 million in present day. Uh, so you add that to the 200, or the $72 million he already was paid, and he basically got a nine-year, $260-some-odd million deal, which pretty good. Congrats. For, pretty Congrats good. Not, not so bad for <laughs> yeah. that Granky. Yeah. And uh, he was signed by the Diamondbacks, which are um, a unique team. <laughs> Uh, for a number of reasons, they they seem to have a particular way of doing things, and uh, perhaps now more than ever, uh, since uh, Dave Stewart has taken over as the GM, and of course uh, Tony Larusa is uh, uh, influential in their decision making as well. We saw with their move that they made, what was it uh, this this past season when they sent away Tuki Toussaint, mm-hmm. who was uh, considered by many to be. Um, a very strong prospect. They had just drafted him, what, in the previous draft or yeah. whatever, and they traded away him away for... To to absorb, or to get the Braves to absorb Bronson Arroyo's $10 million left on his contract. Right, yeah. right, which is, and then I think that, what, Dave Stewart was asked, how much do you view the that player being worth, and he said, he just gave the amount of the bonus, yeah, essentially, right, yeah, right. which is not... Ooh, not uh, how you value prospects. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, uh, I would have to think that that um, Granky among all the teams signing with Arizona would be a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about the kind of the narrative of Granky's decision making was going to be, and a lot of people in the game believe that he was going to resign with Los Angeles because he was very close with the Dodgers front office. They allowed him in the draft room. Uh, you know, he would sit around and like scout players with Andrew Friedman. Um, so you know, they gave him a lot of leeway to not just be a player, but also to like dabble in the baseball operations. So he probably will not have that same leeway with the Diamondbacks. It's unlikely that they're bringing him in as like pitcher consultant. Yeah. Uh, and I think his views will contrast with Tony LaRusso's and Dave Stewart's. So, um, it seems like Granky may have just taken the largest deal on the table, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think most people in general, when they're yeah. job hunting, take the largest offer on the table. Um, but if you're looking at it from a, uh, you know, which team is more likely to win over the next few years, which team kind of fits Granky's uh, you know, uh, analytical beliefs, it's, it's the Dodgers. But the Diamondbacks outbid them by $35 million, and I'm not one to say someone should leave $35 million <laughs> on true. the table. Yeah. yeah, 
It, when one supposes he could use that $35 million yeah. to hire a personal... Con- right. <laughs> he, can, he can do whatever he wants with $35 million. <laughs> um, now, uh, the, that team, uh, in terms of... What does it do for them? They, they have a couple of very strong players, obviously. I think uh, perhaps Owen Watson wrote about this, that if you look at pairs of teammates... Oh, that was August Fagerstrom. That was August, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, he's not no, he's there inside, anymore. Yeah. yeah, August Fagerstrom is here. Uh, Joe Sullivan's actually taking his place now. Yeah. Uh, the uh, we see that um, among pairs of teammates, uh, Goldschmidt and Pollock were among the very best in the entire league. Yeah, yeah, um, and so that's uh, those are the stars. Yeah, and uh, we've also uh, we've witnessed some of the scrubs. We witnessed one of them in spring training last year as yeah, a group. He has money, Tomas. He has money, Tomas. We, about as scrubby as any scrub could get last yeah, year. Yeah, right. And uh, I think we actually we were looking over his numbers. We were revisiting them, and uh, it was. The, the beginning of he was for him was not bad. Okay, in April, yeah. for a high average. Yeah, um, and then it declined. And then he stopped hitting for a high average, and that was the only thing he was doing. Right, so, yeah. right, right. And yeah. he did. Yeah, right. He didn't really have power. Yeah, he didn't. I think he had like a three percent walk rate and thirty percent strikeout rate yeah. over the last month or two of the That's season. Pretty rough. Didn't it didn't work out very well? Is this a team uh, that one could expect to be contending this year? Potentially. I think that August Fagerstrom wrote a piece a couple weeks ago kind of like making the Diamondbacks a contender. And he said like, uh, hey, if they get nice, you know, like there's a lot of things here that could go right. And uh, they got nice. I mean, they have a number one starter now. And Granke is probably four wins better than the pitchers they're bumping out of the rotation in order to mm-hmm. fit him in. Um, if you think they were like a 500-ish team beforehand, that puts them in that 84-85 win range now. It's certainly... In the certainly in the realm of contention, uh, I think they were probably a little worse than 500, so I probably have them closer to 500 now. But uh, you know, we just saw a Mets team that was probably not as good as this Diamondbacks team on paper. Just went to the World Series, like you can have some things break your way, and it's not that hard to to ride a mid 80s win roster uh, to to a playoff you know run at this point. Yeah. Uh, I do think there's some more work to be done when you look at it and be like, okay, Goldschmidt and Pollock were amazing last year. There's really nowhere for them to go but down. Mm -hmm. If either one of them get hurt, that's a huge blow to the team or Granke. Now you have like three elite players. Um, You have a lot of team value tied up in those three guys. One injury to any of them would be crushing. Uh, And then you look at it like there's a lot of risk kind of in the middle infield. They don't really know what they have with Chris Owings. Uh, Nick Ahmed had really good fielding numbers last year but didn't hit at all if his defense declines and he's not very good. Uh, You know, they've you know, kind of maybe have a third baseman in Jake Lamb, but he's not proven. Like, there's a decent amount of risk on the position player side of things. And then behind Granke, the rotation is still full of question marks. Uh, the bullpen's still not great. So I think uh, this is the beginning of a core of a good team. But they also kind of remind me a little bit of the White Sox last year where they had Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and Jose Abreu. And you got really excited about the first three players. And then they added David Robertson and Melky Cabrera and said, okay, now we're in it. And we're like, well, you still only have like six major league players. And right. they had a terrible season. So uh, there's a lot of risk in Arizona. They could contend or they could fall apart. Now, uh, you, we talked about the, um, Dave Dombrowski's methodology of uh, star, stars and scrubs and uh, you know signing a player like David Price but trading away one uh, like, like Wade, My- Wade Miley. Um and uh, we we just asked Greinke, of course, Greinke left the Dodgers, and you wrote about this today, um, their emphasis uh, really on the, on the other strategy, the other sort of strategy, the opposite yeah. end, uh, which, would be, um, which would be building a balanced team. And perhaps for them, uh, now of course, today there's a lot of talks about uh, acquiring Raldis Chapman, although I don't think the deal is official yet. Yeah, apparently saw. the last I saw, Jason Stark reported that the Reds are telling teams that it's not done, even though the Dodgers believe it is done. Okay, so, all right. So, so who knows? Ideally, you have both teams. Yeah, right. They want to be in agreement. Because yeah. if yeah. one of them says it's not done, then it's not done. Then it's not done. <laughs> right. That's how that works, yeah. yeah. Um, but 
uh, I think another signing is perhaps even more revealing of their of their offseason so far, and that's signing Chase Utley, what, to a one-year $7 million deal or something like that? Yeah. And, and uh, because Chase Utley, of course, last year was not the Chase Utley that we've seen in other years. Right. Uh, he's probably not that bad, though. They also have, uh, what, Jose Peraza in place and Kike Hernandez who yeah. can play second base. So they have a bunch of um, adequate to potential, uh, adequate average pieces yeah. uh, as opposed to uh, any any main ones. Yeah, um, but I think, you know, what we've seen with the Dodgers since Andrew Friedman took over is that they have drawn some pretty firm lines at what kind of price they'll pay for the highest end talent, right? So, uh, you know, last year they were heavily linked to Cole Hamels, uh, you know, trying to trade for him, and they just said, you know, we're not going to give up the talent the Phillies want, and they didn't get Cole Hamels. And this winter they said, you know, we're going to go to $160 million for Zach Greinke, we're not going to go above that, and then the diving backs did, they let him go. Uh, you know, I think we, we've seen pretty regularly uh, last winter, you know, they've, they've uh, were tied to a bunch of the top free agents and said they went after like Jimmy Rollins and Howie Kendrick and kind of mid-tier guys, Brandon McCarthy, um, Brett Anderson, like they kind of spread their money around and it seems like this is an approach that the A's worked pretty, worked pretty well, uh, with Farhan Zaidi, who's the GM in, in, uh, Los Angeles under Andrew right, Friedman. Right. Um, and the Rays obviously did this as well, mm-hmm. uh, somewhat out of necessity in both cases there, but both of these teams have seen the value of depth and kind of, uh, not putting all of your eggs in one basket and have sustained themselves as content- continual winners even as their stars got too expensive to keep. And so I think that both, uh, members of their front office are coming from backgrounds where they've seen you can win with a balanced roster with a small budget. And I think they believe you can win, do this kind of same philosophy on a larger scale and just invest more in player development and international acquisitions and to guarantee be, you have that right. pipeline. Of and that way you just, you're not, instead of saying, okay, we have $200 million, let's just blow it on old guys like the Yankees did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're saying, Hey, look, let's take our resources and spend them more efficiently because the return on investment is higher in international and in, in the draft and front office hirings and research and development. This is where we're going to put our excess cash rather than putting it in the free agent market. Okay. So They've signed, uh, as I said, they re-signed Chase Utley. Uh, they have signed Iwakuma yeah. over the last 24 hours. Yeah. So, so uh, what, what was Iwakuma's deal? Three years, $45 million. Three years, $45 million. It, what, what's like a comparable in terms of that? Who, who would have? Well, Jay Happ got 336 Okay, so all right. So a little bit more than Jay Happ, and I think Iwakuma is quite a bit better than Jay Happ. Yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of a track record, yeah. he provided it. Because what? Yeah. I mean, Jay Happ's real track record was is the second half of last year. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. So it, Iwakuma's been that good for years, but Iwakuma's older and has health issues, so that's deflating. That's, that's and Iwakuma was tied to the qualifying offer where Happ was not. Right. And uh, in terms of that rotation, they've also re-signed, uh, or they gave a qualifying offer to Brett Anderson, who accepted. Yeah, right. uh, they have Clayton Kershaw, of course. Yeah. and then Alex Wood, and then uh, Hinjin Ryu and Brandon McCarthy. The rehabbing, right, so potentially okay. second half right. uh, options for them next year. No such thing as too many starters. Yeah, I mean, I think right. That's the thing is like every team kind of goes into the year with five starters and ends up using nine. So right. <laughs> uh, nothing wrong with starting out with nine. Right, as long I suppose what as long as the players who are slotted in at six through nine are uh, satisfied. Yeah, right. Yeah, and right. like McCarthy and Ryu are going to be, uh, you know, not healthy at the beginning of the year. So they'll be fine okay. waiting until the second half of the year. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, they have Julio Urias coming, but probably shouldn't push him. And so he could potentially be around in, you know, the uh, the second half of the year as well. So they have definitely have depth. Right. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> those are those two teams. Uh, oh God. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so another pitcher signed, Jeff Samarja. Yeah. There were reports. What did it, what was his final deal? Five years, ninety million. Okay, because I believe they were mentioned that he had hundred hundred million. His agent leaked that he had a hundred million on the table. It's 
It's possible, but I would bet that he didn't actually. Okay, all right. Yeah. And with whom did he sign? The Giants. Signed with the San Francisco Giants. Oh, so this is an interesting thing, right? And what do we know about this? Because uh, he pitched most recently for the Chicago White Sox. He did. Which is uh, one of the more hitter-friendly parks. It is. And it's in the American League. And they're deep. And oh, and <coughs> they have, defense like, was atrocious. Right, and yeah. Tony Bongino's written about that yeah. uh, in the last couple months. Uh, I guess it applies to all White Sox yeah. pitchers, but their defense was terrible. Uh, he moves to San Francisco, which is a bigger park yeah. in the National League. Pretty and good defense. And pretty good defense, yeah. right? I mean, well, so first of all, was the problem with Samarja's performance? Was it was it batted ball related? I mean, was that the issue? Yes and no. I mean, mm-hmm. his, his issue was all all things. Mm-hmm. He was bad at. His strikeout rate went down, his walk rate went up, his home run rate went up, his batting average of balls in play went up. Like, he did bad with runners in scoring position. Like, he was just bad across the board. Is there any evidence that uh, pitchers essentially, um, they pitch with the defense in mind? There's some, yeah. I mean, that's a school of thought that I think is hard to prove. Uh, you don't exactly know what's in a pitcher's mind when he's uh, throwing the ball, but it mm-hmm. does seem that the pitchers will adjust their style of pitching to the players behind them. If you put them in a big fly ball park and a great outfield defense, they'll probably pitch up in the zone a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you give them four Angels and Simmons, they'll throw more two-seamers and try and get ground balls. So wait, in that scenario, the, have you cloned Andrewton Simmons? Uh, yes. To have, so you've created yeah, yeah, four of them. You have, you've made four or yeah. you've made three and just left the original one? No, you made four new ones and you cryogenically froze the first one like Ted's, Ted Williams. Okay. Just the head part. Yeah. Well, you know, this time you did the whole body. <laughs> okay. Very yeah. good. Uh, all right. So Jeff Samarja is a giant. Um, I don't know. You have nothing to say about it. I, it's just, there's so many deals. I don't know. Uh, what? I mean, it's I. It's like overwhelmed. You just don't want a podcast anymore. <clears throat> no, but, but, uh, what? Samarja so has like these, uh, very enticing physical tools. He has great stuff. Mm-hmm. And his performances only ever matched the stuff once, really. It was 2014. When he, he was, had a great year with the Cubs. And fantastic, was, yeah. yeah. And, and he got traded to the A's. Traded the A's. Uh, and I think it looked like he kind of uh, was a breakout guy at that yeah. point. But like some, and you know, not an insignificant amount of breakout guys, they just returned to what they were beforehand and the breakout appeared to not be real. Right. Uh, that's the question. Is like if Samarja was actually that breakout guy, and he just got derailed a little bit by, uh, you know, outside factors in Chicago. This could be a seal for the Giants because if he's a four-win pitcher with not a lot of innings on his arm, uh, you know, they got a deal for him at ninety million dollars. If he's like a two and a half, three-win pitcher, which is what he's been almost every other year in his career, yeah. uh, then this is about right. Is he? Is he just like Edwin Jackson? Yeah, but better. Okay. A better version of Edwin Jackson. Okay. Yeah. Edwin Jackson, though, always had an enticing arm. Yeah. But Edwin Jackson was even more disappointing from a performance standpoint. Yeah. And he 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 just disappeared. No, he's still hanging around. Well, he was with the Cubs yeah, and the bullpen this year. And then the Braves. Braves, yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, I know he's still around. He's, I'm like, he's alive. He didn't die. He yeah. didn't die. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, we've written Zobris down here. Yeah. Uh, so... Basically, no hitters have been signed. Because everyone's waiting for Ben Zobrist to sign. Right. How did, this is a bit, so Ben Zobrist, for yeah. years, well, f- for years he's been atop the world leaderboards, yeah. right? And uh, um, he's had this sort of skill set that doesn't necessarily show up except in the, in wins. Right. But But it's not – he's not been one to – Receive a lot of personal attention. Right. And Except for the fact that Stathead's have given him so much attention that he's gotten some because he became the poster boy for underrated players. But, right. Yeah. And now he's what? He's 35, 36? He'll be 35 next year. Yeah. He'll be 35. And uh, he's uh, getting attention from every club. Yeah, I think now that he's a free agent and teams have kind of come to realize like, oh, 
good hitting middle infielders who make a lot of contact and hit for power and run the bases and like right. do a lot of things well. These are valuable things. The yeah. switch hitters, like he can play all over the field. Like he fits everybody. There's not a team in baseball who couldn't use Ben Zobrist. So uh, almost every team who's looking to upgrade their offense this winter has him somewhere on the board. Right. And I think every team kind of wants to see what he's going to go for because like you know the Fangraphs crowd projected he'd sign for 42 million, which was low. You think that was among the... It was, the, the, it was their worst prediction. Yeah. Uh, every team in baseball would have signed Zobrist for 342 the moment the offseason So what started. are the terms that are being discussed So it's right going to be a four-year deal. The question is how much higher than $60 million is it going to get? So it's okay. in the $60 million range. It might end up at 65 It could go to 70 if something goes crazy, um, which is the Victor Martinez deal from last year, which when you think about it that way, is Ben Zobrist is a better player than Victor Martinez. We're talking about Victor Martinez money as being crazy for Ben Zobrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to end up somewhere in that range, 460 to 65 to maybe 70 Okay. And will that... Uh, Sort of not unlike the David Price deal. Yeah, it'll unlog jam some things. I think you'll see teams say, okay, now that Zobris off the table, I can move on to maybe signing, uh, you know, Jason Hayward, or you want to Sepsis or Justin Upton. Like, the the dam will break for position players. Right. And uh, once everyone realizes, oh, I'm not getting Ben Zobrist, I should turn to my plan B. Right, and and so Jason Hayward's an interesting plan B, right? Because he's he's better. Yeah, right. Because he's 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 might be the the plan A. Of all plan A's of this particular free agent crop. Well, I think he might have been the plan B for the Cardinals if they lost out on David Price, and they did lose okay. out on David Price. So I think that they, the Cardinals might have said, hey, look, if we want to spend $200 million, you know, we'd rather have Price than Hayward. Mm-hmm. But if Price isn't an option anymore, now they're deciding, do we want to give Hayward $200 million or give, you know, $50 million to four guys? I think given the depth of their roster, they'd probably rather give Hayward $200 million. So my guess is that the Cardinals are now going to turn their attention a little more aggressively to Hayward. Okay, to Hayward. Okay. All right. And uh, I feel like there was, a, there was a – we had been discussing last night a middle infielder who was probably waiting for the Zobrist uh, signing to occur. Are there any other – Drupal Cabrera. Yeah, maybe. I, he was tied to the Yankees today, I saw. Yeah, he's been he's been tied to a lot of teams. Is like, I have $10 million to spend, and I want someone who's not terrible. Yeah. yeah. He could give you that. He could yeah. play shortstop occasionally. Yeah, not Probably well, shouldn't. but yeah. Probably shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Yankees have Dustin Ackley now, don't and they? And Robert Ruffsnyder, yeah. That's kind of their platoon Oh, at the yeah, moment, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's a, that could be a very good platoon. It could also be terrible defensively. That's true. Russ well, Ackley's not a fielder, and Ackley has mostly played the outfield the last few years. Ackley was actually a pretty good second baseman 40 pounds ago, mm-hmm. so if he could lo- lose those 40 pounds, right. to get back to being a good second baseman again. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of risk there. And Ref Snyder is one of, is a rare player to move from the outfield to the infield. Yeah, yeah. up the defensive right, spectrum yeah, right, yeah. from college. But it hasn't worked very well. He's not yeah. a very good second baseman. Yeah. yeah, but he's not. He probably would not be in the league if he was a corner outfielder. Yeah, right. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So we're waiting for Ben Zobrist. Who else did we write in here? I don't know. Oh, it's, it's cold. Yeah, let's go inside. Let's go inside. Just one one other question, though. So we've seen Craig Kimbrell uh, traded for by a team that had a closer in Koji Uehara. Yeah. We've seen uh, now the Dodgers attempt to uh, trade for Raldis Chapman yeah. on a team that has Kenley Jansen, who's right. very good. I was just wondering, because uh, uh, if you remember this past season, um, the Nationals, during Drew, probably Drew Storen's best season to date, yeah. Acquired Jonathan Papelbon, right. and they they installed him as the closer, right. and well, it did Storin, not. Storin didn't pitch very well after that. Yeah. Storin didn't pitch very well after that, and it seemed also to be <laughs> disruptive for the team. Is, yeah, there any, is there anything to suggest that the sort of deals that are being made now won't be that? We don't know. I mean, it's one of those like human psychology questions that we can't really answer. It's certainly possible that there's a causation. Like we can see a correlation. Like Babylon comes in, Storm pitches worse. There's a correlation there. We don't know that there's causation there. Right. Um, and we don't know how. Like Kenley Jansen has pitched before as not a closer and mm-hmm. been excellent. 
is he now incapable of pitching as not a closer? I mean, I guess, the, like, you know, Wade Davis is another example, right? Was amazing for yeah. a year and a half. Was maybe the best reliever in baseball, one of them, uh, pitching the eighth inning and didn't seem to be minded it at all. Now that he's taken over for Greg Holland, if the Royals, you know, Greg Holland magically recovered and didn't right. need Tommy John surgery, would Wade Davis be like, oh, I can't pitch the eighth inning anymore because now I've had a taste of the ninth. Like, do these guys go through some magical transformation that allow, that doesn't allow them to do something they've previously done well? That seems unlikely to me. So I, I think of one argument why a player would want to remain in the closer role, and that's money. because it's worth money in... But it's probably worth money in arbitration. I don't know how much it'll actually worth in free agency, right? Jansen and Chapman right. are both free agents next year. No one, in, as long as they have good seasons mm-hmm. and pitch reasonably well, even as eighth-inning guys, no one's going to look at them and be like, I'm not sure you can close. Because right. these were two of the elite closers in baseball for years. And right. and there's not going to be a stigma of whether they can pitch the ninth inning. So uh, sort of as to how things relate to arbitration, we of course we went by the non-tender trade deadline last week. Craig Edwards wrote about um, some sluggers who were not given, who were not uh, tendered. Uh, Pedro Alvarez was one of them. And another one was not Mark Trumbo, although he was a candidate to be non- non-tendered. And there was one Chris Carter. Chris Carter, yes. yes. Um, and uh, he, what he pointed to was a possibility that these players were were not tendered because they would receive more in arbitration because sluggers with high RBI yeah. or RBI and home run totals tend to be overvalued in arbitration. Right. Arbitration pays for uh, power numbers and doesn't pay for defense. Right. Yeah. But now it's almost uh, um, it's uh, what is that word when it falls back on you? Reverses. Yeah, but it, it's like it hurts you. But it, it doesn't really hurt. Them. I mean, like it doesn't hurt them. No, because instead of like, uh, uh, so say arbitration undervalued their skills, they would be paid three million dollars. But now they get the free agent market, and they get the choose which team they, they get to play choose for, everyone, and the teams get to bid on them. So like the worst case scenario is they get their market value. So having a the arbitration system overvalue you at worst lets you oh, be a free agent better. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they get fewer unless they, to unless like uh, unless Pedro Alves loved Pittsburgh. Yeah, but even if he really loved Pittsburgh, he could have offered to take $3 million from them, and they would have said, okay. Oh. Maybe. You then they would have traded him, probably. What do you think his favorite neighborhood is in Pittsburgh? Isn't it? Uh, Oakland? That's uh, the only one I know. I don't know any neighborhoods in Pittsburgh. Downtown? Yeah. Yeah. You think Piratesville? Would? Yeah. All right, so uh, what do we have ahead of us here? Going, going inside, because it's cold. It is. It's getting a little chilly yeah, here. Yeah. We actually have a view of the Cumberland River, though. Is that what the river it is? Yeah, the Cumberland. Cool. We saw a barge go down it this morning. Yeah, we did. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, are, are any deals imminent now? Uh, I mean, Chapman's kind yeah, of... Yeah, right. Uh, it seems like there's probably going to be a few minor type things, like Adam Lind might get traded to the Mariners soon. What did August Fagerstrom just write about? Ryan Madsen signing with the Angels. A's. Oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, right. A lot of stuff is going to happen. By the time you post it, there will be like 15 new deals. All right. Come to Fangraphs. You'll find out. You're on Fangraphs. You're already here. Yep. Thank you for being on Fangraphs. Listen, uh, you have fulfilled your obligation. Hooray. That has been uh, Dave Kieran, managing editor of Fangraphs Stuttgart's Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Let's go inside. <laughs> Leaving my jacket.